you can give money, you know, to the problem, but also what steps are you taking to ensure that this doesn't come up again? From the Jewish Teen Funders Network, this is Outside the Sedaka Box, the Jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education podcast. I am your host, Danielle Siegel. Each episode, we will have a conversation with an amazing guest who will share their unique stories and help us explore the broader world of Jewish teen engagement and philanthropy education. Today's very special episode was recorded from our online panel discussion, Diversity and the Jewish Community, the third session in our Give in Solidarity learning series. Moderated by Wayne Green, JTFN's Executive Director, our panel included Rebecca Smanga-Frank, actor, writer, and director, Kendall Pinkney, theater maker, Jewish life consultant, and rabbinical student at the Jewish Theological Seminary, Rabbi Isaiah Joseph Rothstein, rabbinic scholar and public affairs advisor, and Toby Shannon, board member at the Community Investment Network. You can read their full bios in the podcast description. We hope you enjoy listening. Uh, welcome to Diversity and the Jewish Community, the third session in the Given Solidarity Learning Series presented by the Jewish Teen Funders Network in partnership with the Community Investment Network. I am Wayne Green, Executive Director of the Jewish Teen Funders Network, and I'm delighted to introduce you to this webinar. I really would love to hear um, a little bit more about where you're from and a little bit more about your, your background, um, a little bit more of your story to what led you to this moment today. So, Kendall, if you want to jump in. Sure thing. And um, it's such a honor to be with everyone today. So a little bit more uh, about me. Yeah, I grew up right outside of Dallas, Texas. Uh, actually, I grew up in a family that uh, remembers, still are members of a Black megachurch down in Dallas. And my journey to Judaism and also being a Jew of color uh, actually started in college. I went to Oberlin College and Conservatory in Oberlin, Ohio, very near Cleveland. And uh, honestly, growing up, I didn't really know many Jews. I consciously met my first Jewish person when I was 17. So it, it was kind of surprising and peculiar, to say the least, to my family that once I got to Oberlin, that for any number of reasons, Judaism was just very, just felt very relevant to me and very much pulled me in, so to speak. So I started the conversion process within my first couple of years at Oberlin, and that led to a lot of travel, studying in Jerusalem for a good while. And it was in, during that time of studying in Jerusalem that I really fully realized the full diversity of the Jewish people, getting to know plenty of folks whose families had been Jewish for very, very long times, but were from many parts of the world and really looked like everyone um, that you could uh, imagine and really reflected my friend group back in America. And so as I finished the process of conversion, being an advocate for Jews of color and finding ways to represent the various stories of Jews of color around the world became really important to me. So whereas I did not grow up a Jew of color, once I arrived to Judaism, it really very much became one of the things that I have been really passionate about and tried to weave into my 
work as a rabbinical student and into my uh, work as an artist as well. Thank you. Well, you know, we welcome you and we're so excited to have you on our panel today. It's interesting that you talk about arts and the impact of that, which we will actually talk a little bit further on, which leads me very nicely into introducing you to Rebecca, who um, is very much in that world. So Rebecca, maybe if you want to also just give a bit of a background and tell us a little bit more about who you are and what, what you're doing. Absolutely. I am Rebecca Samanga Frank. I grew up in Santa Monica. It's a majority white community that I grew up in fairly affluent, a lot of middle class, upper middle class families. And uh, my mother is a white Ashkenazi Jew and she raised me Jewish. Um, that was very important to her as uh, she grew up in New York in a fully Jewish community in uh, the, the Bronx in the, on the Grand Concourse. And she said, how is my kid gonna know that she's Jewish? I need to give her all of the culture and all of the, uh, tradition and the tools and the things that we hold dear to, so that she knows. So those things are, you know, having, having a Jewish name and going to Hebrew school and having a bat mitzvah and being raised kosher. And uh, I always say it's the way that I think and it's the way that we eat and it's the way that we joke. Then my father is a black African from now called Eswatini, but formerly called Swaziland. So that is my beautiful mix of family and our village here was even wider with other African community and international folks in Santa Monica and in Los Angeles. And um, the world really opened up for me when through singing uh, jazz, which I always did for fun, I ended up in a play. And theater and the world of theater, I was introduced to as, a, as an adult. I didn't really have any experience acting. It was a really come-as-you-are experience, and I was really embraced, having no experience. <laughs> um, but now I direct, and I do some on-camera TV work, or web work, or film work, and I do many different types of writing now. Uh, one of the words that you actually just mentioned now was uh, the word village. And, you know, when you said that to me, this is very much about this sense of community and this sense of connection that is about how we foster that in what it means to have diversity in the Jewish community. So, so Toby, uh, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more uh, about your upbringing and, and what led you to where you are right now. So uh, my name is Toby Shannon. I am from Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and I grew up in a household where uh, being altruistic and also just being a part of community and that village word that you were talking about is really important. Um, so my parents, when I was about, I want to say seven or eight, began a giving circle called the uh, Next Generation of African American Philanthropists. And uh, were able to just, you know, collectively gather with some of their friends and decided that they wanted to be able to redistribute some of their wealth into the community. And so by doing that um, and growing up with that uh, spirit and that legacy of giving, I kind of took that um, with me as I went on to college, as I started my professional career, um, and then decided to join the Community Investment Network Board. My parents were actually founding members of the network as well. And so that's kind of been my whole life journey in terms of philanthropy and giving and just understanding that it's important for us to be able to hold our community in the way that it holds us and understanding that being able, like I said, to hold our community and make sure that I won't be good until my neighbor is good type of feeling. That's always been sort of something that's been a part of 
everything that I do. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm currently a graduate student at Presidio Graduate School up in San Francisco, but we're all virtual right now, as you can probably imagine. And yeah, again, everything it's in everything I do. So right now I'm getting an MBA and MPA in um, sustainability. And the program really focuses on social justice and racial justice and what it really means to be um, at the intersection of environmentalism um, and what that means for different communities. And for me, especially, it's important to make sure that that conversation also encompasses communities of color. And part of that is about, you know, impact investments and understanding how philanthropy can really change the way that um, we can redistribute our wealth and understanding that, again, we all need to be there for each other, be able to continue that legacy of giving and holding each other. Thank you, Topi. One of the key things that I think is so important from your story is the impact that philanthropy had on you as a young woman. You know, you went with your family as a seven, eight-year-old to start in this journey. And the idea of philanthropy is that you don't do it once and then you're done. This is about a lifelong journey and the ability for us to do this work for teens and really to instill this practice and this understanding is so fundamental to how it changes our DNA to be lifelong markers throughout these journeys. Isaiah, I've seen you nodding, so it's your turn to um, give uh, us a bit of background about you and, and share um, about where I you are think, today. Yes. And yeah, a little bit about my background. Um, I was born and raised in, in the ultra-Orthodox community of Muncie, New York. Uh, for context, my mom and my dad, my parents got married 40 years ago, you know, long before the term Jews of color was on the map for the Jewish community, let alone having programs like this to promote racial equity and racial justice in the Jewish community. To me, I feel like a lot of my um, own experience, I share a lot in common with people that I relate to in our, the Jews of color community. And then also my experience as someone who, who's passed, passes for white, I would say me and my brothers, we all came out in different colors skin. Um, sometimes annoyingly, people would be like, wait, you're brothers? How are you brothers? God blessed us and God created us this way. Growing up, I always felt like um, I was a border crosser in certain ways. Um, when I was 10 years old at Passover Seder, I learned that when my mother and father were telling me that I had ancestors who were slaves, slaves, they weren't necessarily just referring to the biblical narrative of the Exodus. They were talking about slaves in America. I also, you know, growing up twice a year for like Thanksgiving, which was always right around my birthday. And for the summer, I would visit my mother's side of the family. Um, and I was always, I was the white sheep of the family. We were truly multi-faith, multicultural, multi-vocal. That was normal for me. And then like really the last thing I'll share, I really feel I'm a Hamilton lover. I'm in the middle of writing um, a musical about Queen Esther. Um, and very much like that line from Hamilton of history has its eyes on you is something that I think we're all being called to this moment. So I'm, I'm grateful to be here with you. Thank you so much. First of all, um, thank you everybody for uh, sharing a bit of your story. And I want to really acknowledge that the stories that we're hearing today are personal stories and the stories we will continue to hear um, are sometimes painful and difficult to talk about. And so I really appreciate um, you taking the time to share with us. I wanted to uh, ask 
this next question back to you, Isaiah. You know, you talked a little bit about some of the work that you're doing today, and I really was curious to hear from you about, you know, why is the work that you're doing today so important for this time? How is it advancing um, the work that we can offer to our teens? And also, why is it relevant to what's happening today? So I am on day 43 of working at the Jewish Federations of North America, um, also known as JFNA. And, you know, my title specifically, I work as rabbinic scholar and public affairs advisor, considering um, legislation and um, race relations, both within the Jewish community and outside of the Jewish community. Um, but I've also been brought in really to consider how I could be the best conduit for systemic change, like around racial equity and diversity um, and, and justice as it relates to the Jewish community as a whole and the federation system to enable this movement for racial justice to, to grow. Um, and what I've been developing right now, frameworks and the curriculum and the work plan for, for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, what I'm calling Jedi, thinking about what it means to be a Jewish Jedi and, and having a lens of bringing equity into all that we do so it's sustainable, so that it's for the long game, it's integrated into the, to the organization as a whole. And we know that takes a lot of relationship building and it takes time. Um, but then also a part of our role is, is really thinking about um, race relations, as I mentioned, both in the Jewish community and outside of the Jewish community. And just the important work of building strong, authentic and resilient relationships that are not reactive, but that are rooted um, in really cultivating allyship, reminding each other what we share in common and what, what brings us together and not what divides us. This work, I don't, I've been alive for more than 30 plus years. My family is, has been, and the work that I'm doing regularly, we're here. And this is a moment. And it's not the only moment, though. We've been building towards this. And, just, and I don't want to speak for anyone else, but just what I shared from my story, my parents have been married for 40 years. That's just my, a part of my story. And so where we are and how we're coming to this, I am so I'm honored and I'm grateful that the Jewish community in many ways is stepping to a, a new level of consciousness and continuing because the work, um, you know, we're not, we're not starting from Aleph, as they say, in understanding social equity and justice, but we're, we're really, I think this moment is, is a, a moment for us to continue to, to fuel each other because we all have, our own position, we all have our own circle of influence. And so there's a big opportunity for us to work together. Kendall, I'd love you to, to add a little bit more about where you are right now in your work. And also just the sense of what Isaiah was saying around that this is an ongoing road. You know, he talked about bridge building and, and this ability for us to not think about that we do the work and it's done, but this is an ongoing practice that we continue on. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more about some of the work that you're doing that is important for this moment and for us to think about sharing with our teens that are in our programs. Yeah, I would say for me that two um, of those that are really important for this moment and really dear to my heart, Kaleidoscope and Amud. So Kaleidoscope is a narrative arts initiative that foregrounds the stories of Jews of color and Jews from Sephardic and Mizrahi backgrounds. And part of what, this kind of connects to what Isaiah said, like. Jews have been like a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multinational, like people, at least as long as there's been a diaspora. So this notion of all Jews look one way, um, it's like, nabra, like look at history. 
um, it's much more complex. So Kaleidoscope is really about giving people, giving Jews of color, Jews from Sephardic and Mizrahi backgrounds, the space to tell their own stories. And these are not only stories of not belonging or stories of otherness. Rather, it's we don't give them a specific way that they need to express themselves or their stories. We just say, let it be your story, your personal story, and that in and of itself will be enough. So Amud is an organization that provides Jewish education for Jews of color by Jews of color. So in this space, there is this sense of creating a safe space in which Jews of color can learn kind of Jewish education more broadly, because the reality is that stepping into certain Jewish spaces can actually be really taxing. It's pretty frequent that I will would go into any Jewish space pre-COVID and receive any number of responses from, what are you doing here? Are you lost? Or people thinking that I might be custodial staff and that I'm there to work a B'nai Mitzvah, or kind of something that was more subtle, but still a little challenging to encounter is to go to a space and realize that people are really interested in you, but instead of asking for your name, they're like, so what's your story? So whenever you have experiences like that, sometimes it can be frustrating to constantly step into a space where you very much own your Jewish identity, only to have it be um, questioned or to feel like that there's almost like a gatekeeper who's checking. So Amud really provides space for Jews of color to just really step into the space fully in their Jewishness, not having to explain that, and to be able to get some high quality learning that feels relevant to developing that sense of a really grounded, broad Jewish education. It speaks to this need for narrative and this need for stories. We need our stories to be out there. We need our stories to be heard, received, embraced, because only once we are actually able to get these stories out there and connect them with other people's stories, can we start creating broader language that really just shows how we are really, you know, Klal Israel, we are one people. And then even building beyond that, how as human beings, we're really all trying to work towards the same end of mutual flourishing and, and growth. This idea of Amud, of having a space that allows you to bring your full self into that without having any concerns about external environments is such a, a fundamental piece about what we often talk about within our teen philanthropy programs, this idea of how do we uh, really think about um, creating spaces so that teens can feel welcomed and that they can feel that they're heard and that their shared experiences and, and their diversity is accepted and, and embraced. There are two things, Rebecca, that I would love to hear a little bit more from you. One of them is, you know, I would love to hear a little bit more about what were some of the challenges that you faced growing up um, as a Jew of color? And then you shared with us, once you had entered into the space of arts and theater, someone said to you, come as you are. And that resonated so well for me in that it was come exactly who you are. You don't have to come with any other labels, but exactly your perfect makeup and that, that level of acceptance. And I would love for you to kind of just share a little bit more about, you know, your challenges and then where you came to that, that moment of clarity. 
Yeah. It's also just so affirming to hear everyone speak. And I just, I want to celebrate that because that's where I'll be leading to, which is about really intentionally making space and um, creating community to hear our stories. It's exactly what everybody's just saying. Some of the difficulties, I wasn't reflected in my community. So this thing that we talked about tokenism and what it means to be the only or to be one of two or three in many, many spaces in a very systematically racist world. And that created a lot of fracture in me and um, resentment and pain. So what I mean by being, um, you know, where, where some of that tokenism was most apparent was, you know, in schools, certain schools. And, you know, then there's in my own family or in my own friend group, but synagogue. So that's like another, and it, it's also important to say that those weren't places that didn't have deep and meaningful connection but those were also places that because I was there, there was a very false narrative and assumption that we as a community were post-racism, post-racial, colorblind. And this is some of the extreme harm that I find in pretty any institution, majority uh, white institution or just old institutions, which is a sort of defaulting to whiteness and an erasure. And that's really the word for me. It's a, an erasure of my complexity of, you know, all the many facets of my identity, the what we now, you know, have the word about intersectionality that, again, is so painful. So some of those spaces would create direct uh, racism and prejudice. You know, you can't play with us because you're black. You can't play that character. You can't play sisters with us because you're black. Or the thing Kendall just pointed out, which is so common in my experience of the Jewish community, which is, what are you doing here? And what's your story? The exotification or the pulling out my Jewish card and the need to prove my credentials. So, you know, there's a lot of just really old and outdated assumptions and ignorance there that it's really on the white community to educate themselves on and not on me to do that work. Yeah, so the arts, it's just an absolute safe haven for so many marginalized communities historically. So that's not new. My experience is is exactly the same, which is that it ex art expands one's world and it introduces one to so many more people and, and so many different types of diversity. So um, that's immediate. And then you're also engaged in doing. You're, it's not theoretical. It's like you're doing, you're making. And just to fast forward to sort of the full circle moment to you know, 10 years in this industry since then um, as an actor, I did, you know, my first professional Jewish job, which I, I got to be paid to be Jewish, finally, in this play, Indecent, which if people know, you know, Paula Vogel is one of our great feminist uh, Jewish playwrights and uh, wrote this incredible story about the story of a play written by Sholem Ash called The God of Vengeance in Yiddish. It was a very full experience to finally be Jewish and be an artist and yeah, incorporate all those things. Uh, 
Um, you know, when we talk about philanthropy, um, Toby is part of the Community Investment Network. And, you know, Toby, you had the, the fortunate opportunity of being um, offered this experience through your parents. Um, and you now are the youngest board member on um, CIN. And I would love to hear about, you know, what it means to be um, on, the, on the board and, and your experience as a young person to be able to have this influence on important needs that are needed in our society, whether it is about arts and culture or diversity or justice. I mean, I think your experience is about philanthropy as the whole. Yeah, it's been a lot of learning, honestly. I think that growing up, even though I did have, you know, the influence of my parents and being able to watch them and see what their philanthropy looked like, it, I still had the broader um, society telling me that philanthropy was very white and that, you know, only uh, influential people did it and that it was sort of a band-aid effect and it was just kind of throwing money at people. And so being on the board, especially and having like an up close and personal look at what uh, philanthropy looks like and also that it doesn't look the same for everybody uh, was super important um, in terms of me trying to get that message, especially to my peers and understanding that just because traditional quote unquote philanthropy has looked like us giving money to a problem and expecting the problem to be fixed in some way, um, that doesn't mean that we can't turn that on its head and say, you can give money, you know, to the problem, but also what steps are you taking to ensure that this doesn't come up again? What steps, especially for me, what steps are you taking when you're giving your money to make sure that the other things that you're doing in other parts of your life aren't adding to this issue that you're supposedly trying to support? I think that a lot of people forget that um, and understanding those root causes and understanding you know, how we have all these social problems and how they came about is really important in doing your homework and doing the due diligence to understand this history of philanthropy is very important in terms of continuing this legacy of being able to support your community, but do it in a very collaborative way. One of the main things that I've been understanding about uh, my capacity to give and understanding that you have to incorporate self-sustainability into this work. It's not possible for you to give from an empty cup. And I think that a lot of times when you're talking about community giving and especially in the nonprofit arena, people get burnt out a lot. And so for me, I'm really invested in understanding that um, and especially because of my generation, because of the generations that are coming after me, understanding that we, we all can take turns doing this and supporting each other in order to do this type of work. Um, and hopefully that it'll be embedded over time into everything that we do. So for me, um, that looks like being able to volunteer my time when I don't necessarily have the monetary um, influence or being able to um, give of my skills and I think that, you know, I can have a completely longer conversation about how capitalism um, affects the way that we're able to give um, and affects, you know, just this idea of giving to the lesser and things of that nature and that language, that coded language that we use when we're talking about um, traditional philanthropy. Uh, I think that, you know, those topics are really important to highlight in order to understand that we can do so much better. We can do things in a different way, in a, a way that's more efficient 
in a way that's more sustainable as you know we've been talking about today um, and understanding that our capacity to give doesn't necessarily start when we build wealth. It starts before that. It starts with being able to give of ourselves, again, in a self-sustainable way, but still being able to give of ourselves to our community, the same community that allows us to build up these skills, allows us to build up this wealth. It's just kind of a, you know, a wheel, a wheel of being able to put in what we give out. It's so incredible to hear each of your perspectives on this collective idea of what philanthropy can really do for our community and how we really embrace this diversity. our topic today is about diversity in the Jewish community and I'm just wondering if there's one piece that you take away from hearing the perspective of others or something else that you learned today and maybe Isaiah you want to just share one one sentence piece and I'll ask each of you before we finish. Whoa I mean this group I mean this is one of the coolest panels I've ever been on. I think one thing that I am leaving with is that I hope people through listening to each of us can better understand the why behind how important this is because um, I think sometimes people engage edutainment. Maybe it's like, you know, we're, we're, we're in a conversation, but we, what about our own why? Um, and it's really powerful to hear from, from each of you. I feel inspired um, in a real way. And like just even doing the work to remind myself of the why, of why it's so important to me. Thank you. Rebecca, do you want to give us a quick reflection before we... Yeah, things that Toby, you just said, I'm like, oh, I got to follow up with you. And it was just so inspiring to hear you talk about your experience, but also that there are more efficient ways to do this. And you're talking about that. It's just opening me up. And I'm very, very grateful for that, as well as, you know, talking about there's a lot of coded language and we have to be able to speak to it and through it. And the last bit is something that I also feel is a takeaway, which is about sustainability and self-care. So thanks for speaking to that. And thank you all. Toby, do you have anything else that you want to do quickly share before we finish? Yeah, just that, um, like I said, I just want to reiterate that when we're talking about this new age philanthropy or rather community giving, we need to understand that it can come from different types of people and that includes teens and understanding that in anything that you pursue, in any profession that you pursue, that it's possible to be able to um, feed into your community and give of yourself to your community because they're the ones who grew you. Again, getting back to that word we used earlier, village, and understanding that a village is how people are sustained. And so understanding how you can give to that village is really important. So I challenge everybody to be able to keep that in the back of their mind as you pursue different things in your life. Make sure that you keep this uh, community giving spirit within everything you do. Thank you. And Kendall, let's take it home. Have you got a, a last reflection before we finish and say farewell? Uh, I mean, I think I'm joining the train that's appreciating so much of what Toby has just shared. Like the capacity to give doesn't begin with the building of wealth. I think that was such a beautiful sharing that Toby gave. And I, I mean, I definitely want to follow up as well. So, I mean, I honestly think that that is the thing that is landing with me because it's speaking to this the collapsing of this notion that philanthropy is one thing, volunteering is another thing, 
relationship with community is another thing. It actually really kind of says, no, 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 we need to think about this in a more holistic and sustainable way. So my reflection is I'm just really glad for the perspective that Toby has added to this and really eager to kind of like follow up and kind of learn more about that myself, especially with the work that I'm doing with my organizations and with young people. So thank you, Toby. That was fantastic. So I'd really like to say to every single one of you, thank you so much for your time, for your generosity of sharing and giving with us today. So on behalf of the Jewish Team Funders Network, our collaborative partner, the Community Investment Network, and everybody on our panel today, we want to say a huge thank you. Take care, stay safe, and look forward to seeing you again. Thank you. Outside the Tzedakah Box is produced by the Jewish Teen Funders Network, the central resource for the network of Jewish teen philanthropy programs in North America and internationally. To find out more, visit our website at jtfn.org. Thank you for listening and look out for our next episode coming soon. Don't forget to subscribe. Until then, bye friends.